The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. All right, I want to take a quick poll. Whose favorite Thanksgiving is turkey? Wow, yeah. I mean, often it's, it's kind of dry and it's not all that exciting. Okay, stuffing. Any stuffing fans out there? All right, stuffing's popular. Potatoes? Mashed potatoes? Yeah, sweet potatoes? Cranberry sauce? Pumpkin pie? Yeah. What else? Is there anything else? Forgetting? Ham. What? What kind of crazy Thanksgiving is that? Uh, so Thanksgiving's pretty exciting. My favorite Thanksgiving foods are actually the rolls and the mashed potatoes. I'm all about the carbs. And I don't like gravy, so I actually have mashed potatoes with ranch dressing. Sounds weird, but it is really good. Challenge you to try it. Thanksgiving's really exciting. Did you know that there's kind of regional ways to pronounce Thanksgiving? I didn't realize this until I lived in the South. And that people would ask me what I was doing for Thanksgiving. And I was like, what? I mean, it sounded like a foreign word I'd never heard before. What is Thanksgiving? Well, for Thanksgiving, I'm spending time with my family. S- strange, these little nuances that we have. Well, um, hold on to that thought. We're going we're gonna to talk more about Thanksgiving a little bit later. But I want to I wanna start by, by talking about where we are with what we've been doing. I'm Janie, by the way. If you don't know me, I'm one of the people on staff here. Um, and I'm one of the people who loves Thanksgiving. Not Thanksgiving. Um, and we just started a new series last week. And it is a series in the book of Isaiah called Growing Hope. Yeah, I just for a minute thought, oh, maybe that's not what it's called. It's actually what it's called. Growing Hope. 30-second recap, okay? Where we are. What's going on? The nation of Israel are God's people. God will bless them, and they're going to share God's blessing with the world. And Isaiah is a prophet during what was the most difficult time in Israel's life. Um, Israel was where it is now, um, on the shores of the Mediterranean. And there are all these empires around them that were threatening to take over, and eventually they did. Israel's overtaken, the capital city of Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and a bunch of Israelites are taken in captivity from Israel to Babylon. So there's a picture of where they have to go. They go to exile to where Israel is, and then they go in exile to the city of Babylon. So Israel has lost everything. It's lost its center. They don't have a, a home, a land. They don't have a temple. They don't have um, a king to call their own. They don't have freedom. And they're kind of wondering, do we still have a God? Does God still want to rescue us from this chaos that we found ourselves in? So where we are right now in Isaiah is that they're living as refugees in Babylon, far away from their homeland. And they're being told by Isaiah, you are going to go home. They've been there for close to 100 years. You're about to go back to your homeland. So Ryan shared last week, Isaiah provided a message of comfort in the midst of chaos. Most prophets, Isaiah's a prophet, most prophets in the Old Testament are kind of bringing messages of doom, right? Repent, you have no babe, the end is near, that's done, that's it. Isaiah's bringing comfort and hope. Um, And a renewed sense of center. God is doing something new. And Isaiah wants Israel to know God is doing something new in you. He's going to give you a new vision. You need to open your eyes to see what God is doing. 
that's what's happening in Isaiah. So um, we're going to look at Isaiah 55, but before we do that, I want to take a minute and just pray for our, our time. God, we are grateful for you. We are thankful for the opportunity to have something like Thanksgiving in our lives, and we're grateful that we all get to be here tonight gathered as your community. God, I pray that your word would be present in the words that I say. I pray that the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, God, our rock and our redeemer. In your holy name, amen. All right, so we're going to start by looking at Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 1. And this is Isaiah talking to Israel, talking to Israel God talking to Israel through Isaiah. Okay. Um, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. So Isaiah is inviting Israel to partake in that which gives life, right? How do we live? By eating and drinking. That's how we survive. And this isn't just any eating and drinking. This is doing it in abundance. Not just bread and water, but the good stuff. Wine and milk. But not together, because that'd be gross. But for them, wine, milkshake, anyone? But for them, those were the things that were the most expensive. Wine and milk, the good stuff. The idea of God providing food in abundance is something that's all over Scripture. In, um, for the Israelites in the Old Testament, I swear they're always just looking for an excuse to have a feast, right? Let's have a celebration. It's a feast. Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms, the Lord is my shepherd. The psalmist writes, you prepare a table before me. And Jesus feeds 5,000 people, right? He puts feasts before people. He talks about in Luke how um, when he prepares a feast and the people who say they can't come because they're too busy, we should go on the streets and invite those people to come and partake in a feast. God wants us to be nourished, but not just with the basics. God wants to give us abundant life, and that's what Isaiah wants Israel to know. Now, Thanksgiving is next Thursday. We've kind of already talked about the things that we're excited to eat Pretty much, it seems like it's a holiday invented for us to stuff ourselves um, beyond the ability to move. We got mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes and cranberry sauce and stuffing and turkey with the tryptophan that's going to knock us out. But every holiday meal, I think, wouldn't be complete unless we also had the wonky kids' table, right? <laughs> Off to the side in the dining room. Maybe you haven't had this experienced recently, but I bet sometime recently you came into the dining room, you're ready to go for Thanksgiving, you got your elastic waistband pants on, you're like, all right, let's go. <laughs> this is going to be like three or four rounds. And you come in there and you find out you're going to be sitting at the kids' table. What? The kids' table? Look at the adult table. It has like a tablecloth on it, and nice china, and like wine glasses, and there's cloth napkins with napkin rings, whatever those are for, and there's maybe like a centerpiece, I mean it looks real, all the food's on there, and then there's the kids table, right, usually it's a card table, it's got a wonky leg on it, and uh, you sit down and you don't even get a chair, you get a piano bench. Or you get a stool that's, like, so high off the table, you have to lean over and, like, shovel it in. That's what you get at the kids' table. And uh, 
you got like paper cups to drink out of? And there's always that crazy cousin who likes to make the jokes, do you like seafood? Seafood, eh. And they're like shoving olives on all their fingertips and boxing with them. And the kids' table can be so brutal, right? We don't, I don't want to sit at the kids' table. College is a tough time because everybody's like, you're kind of adults, but I mean, we don't exactly have room for you. I know, I've been there, you guys. In the metaphor of our faith, I think the kids' table is what we know. Usually in relating to God, I find myself kind of acting like a kid, begging, making demands. God, I want you to do this and be a magician. Santa Claus, provide me with these blessings. And when they don't happen, I throw a temper tantrum. We might not love the kids' table, but we're used to it. It's comfortable. We can be shallow. We can have a shallow faith when we stay at the kids' table. And we won't, so we want to stay put. Isaiah is telling Israel and also us, we have been given an invitation to step up to a banqueting table. We have been invited to take a seat at the big kids' table. God wants us to feast on his abundance. To leave behind a shallow faith. But we know all about what goes on in the shallow faith, right? I can kind of be in control there. I don't want to leave, leave it behind because it's risky to walk over to this table where I don't really know how, to, how it works over there. So instead of taking the step towards something unknown, we settle for staying where we are. Seeing where we are in our faith and we settle for, instead of an abundant banquet that God might put before us, we settle for crumbs. Because we, see, we think, oh, well, I'll walk up there when I see exactly my expectations being met. Then I'll leave what I know and take what God wants to give me. And we, we trick ourselves. We lie to ourselves. And we say, these crumbs are good enough. Man, I'm eating these crumbs and I'm stuffed to the rafters. Isaiah wants people to break out of their complacency. Break out of what is easy Break out of what you think you need to know and be aware of God's presence. God is doing something. And he wants you to know you are invited to an abundant life that God wants you to partake in. He says multiple times in verses 1 and 2, if you can put those up there again. Multiple times he says, come. Come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Come. What is Isaiah calling people to? To move to action, to step up to the table. It might not look exactly like you thought it would, but I bet it will be better than anything you could have anticipated. The only requirement is hunger and thirst and a willingness to let go of your expectations, your need to control, your desire to hold on to a shallow faith and actually step up to the abundant life that God has for you. Now, it sounds pretty scary, and I think... Maybe we want to answer, yes, okay, I'm going to leave behind control of everything. I'm going to step up to the big kid's table, but I don't know if I can go all the way there. So I'm going to go halfway there. I think that's a common response. I'll give God part of my life, but I don't know if I'm going to give God all of my life. So we bring part of the kid's table with us. Maybe we bring the piano bench, right? Scrape it along the floor, set it down at this banqueting table God has for us. And we sit at the piano bench and we find out that it comes up, the table comes up to about here. 
So we can reach the utensils, we can see the food, but there's no way we can actually get it into our mouths and experience nourishment. We're there, but we're halfway there. I'm going to come to the table, but I'm not going to fully trust my God with my life. Here's what it would look like to bring a bench. I'm going to give God Sundays and Tuesdays, but I think I need to hang, hang on to the rest of my week, especially weekends. I'm going to give God my Christian friendships, but I'm going to hold on to my dating relationship. I'm going to continue to trust myself and control how others view me by performing for them so they'll get attention, so they'll admire me with things like grades, social status, the people that I hang out with, the people that I date. I'm going to hold on to my pride and my ego. I need to control those things if I'm going to be okay. Trying to perform, trying to control how others view us is always going to leave us unsatisfied. It's always going to leave us yearning for more. Isaiah asks the question in verse 2, Why spend money on what is not bread? Why labor on what does not satisfy? But that's what we do. When we occupy ourselves with other things besides God's provision, we decide, I'm going to live on crumbs. Because it's less scary for me. Isaiah is letting Israel know, it's free. Come, take wine and milk without paying for it. Take a seat, a free seat at this table of abundant life that God wants to give you. Where you will find love, grace, mercy, acceptance in abundance. Forgiveness. Let go of the need to perform for everyone all the time. Let your brokenness, let your sin, let all the things you hide be seen. Let go of your expectations and trust. God is going to be there. And he's going to set before you what you need to quench your thirst. What you need to ease your hunger. So that you not only will survive, but you'll thrive. God wants you to have an abundant life. Isaiah's call to Israel is a call to trust. Trust what you can't see, what's unknown. Trust that the God who was with you in the past is with you right now and is going to be with you in the future. And the question, is God worth trusting? Here's what Isaiah says, starting in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God is at work. His ways are better. God's thoughts are higher. God's word will be accomplished. Isaiah is calling us to a sense of awe that the God of the universe is so much higher than we are and a sense of trust that the God of the universe wants us to know his love. Trust is what pleases God. The Hebrew word thoughts in verse 8, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, would actually probably be better translated plans. God says, my plans aren't your plans. 
Israel's plans was, we're just going to be captives forever. We don't have any hope of freedom. It's easier to just stay here and stay with what we know. And what is actually happening on the ground? The Babylonian Empire, which were the people who took the Israelites captive and took them into exile, they're being taken over by the Persian Empire. Now, you might be saying, great, Janie, why do I care? Thanks for the history lesson. But it's important because... Persians have a very different approach to captives than the Babylonians. The Persians returned captives to their homeland, gave them money so they could rebuild. Isaiah is calling Israel to trust that change is coming. Step out of what you know, what is comfortable, into what you don't know, because God has a greater plan in store for you. God is at work for your sake behind the scenes when you can't even see it. You have no idea, but you have to trust that God is working. Let God's plan be the plan. One of my favorite comics was hanging in my um, office for a long time. It talks about how I pray a lot of times. Okay, God, now here's my plan. Our plan, my plan comes from fear and anxiety. What is my, the plan of least resistance? What's the plan where I will avoid being hurt? What's the plan where I can trust myself? So many things stop us from trusting God, that God's behind the scenes, and it's really doubt. Israel doubted two major things during, the, during Isaiah. They doubted God's power to save, and they doubted God's will to save. They doubted God wanted to save them. So they were asking, what if? What if God doesn't save us? What if God doesn't follow through? What if? What if I take a step to the banqueting table, and it comes crashing down? What if I share my sins, my brokenness, and God's like, whoa, okay, I didn't know that was what you had to share. Well, you just step away from the table. What if I have to trust someone else and I get hurt? I really want you to think about this for a minute. Who do you really trust in your life? Who do you trust? Do you trust anybody? We're taught from a very young age in our culture not to trust it's not our nature, and if it is, it is drilled out of us pretty early on, right? How many times in elementary school did you guys hear someone ask that question? Did you know gullible's not in the dictionary? Seriously? Gullible's not in the dictionary? Oh, my gosh. We are taught pretty early, don't trust people. They're going to make you look like an idiot. That never happened to me. <laughs> and actually, it probably did. Okay. We're taught to be cynical, we're taught to be suspect, expect the worst. How many people were really surprised with what the soap opera that's happened with General Petraeus over the last few, few days? I wasn't. Of course. He's in leadership. Of course he's going to be morally suspect. We just don't trust anyone. Every year, Gallup, the polling organization, does polls of Americans. What are the things, what are the institutions that Americans trust? And I looked at this year. This is the 2012. What do, what do people trust? I don't know if you can really read it. So the first one is they, something they trust a lot. And then the second part is something they trust a great deal and then quite a lot. So the top things are military, small business, the police, the church. We're not too far down. That's pretty good. Um, and then the bottom ones are banks, big business, HMOs, insurance companies. And Congress is doing really well. So there's not a lot of institutions that we trust as Americans. And why I find this really fascinating is because I compared it to 1980s, and they didn't have a graph, but 
I looked at 1980 versus 2012, and everything except for the military and police, they stayed about the same. Everything went down. Everything went down. We trust nothing. We're taught to be skeptical. So the idea of trusting God, trusting God with our whole lives, I mean, that's crazy. That's so counter to what we know to be true. We don't know how to trust. We don't know how to trust. Here's what I would say. Trust means being willing to let go of your expectations, your wants, your needs, being willing to let them go and believing you're going to be satisfied anyway. Trust is being willing to let go of these things you hold on to so tightly and believing, I'm going I'm to be satisfied anyway. The time in my life where I had a real lesson in trust was the year after I graduated from college. I lived in here in Seattle in what was called an intentional community. And it was a bunch of Christians. And we lived together, and we lived in an economically downtrodden neighborhood in Seattle. And our goal was to bless the neighborhood that we were living in. Um, and we all worked together with homeless youth in downtown Seattle. And I was working at the time at this small, new startup in downtown called Amazon.com. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. But it was a startup when I, started, when I was working there. So living in this community we decided that we wanted to pool our money, not just our rent money and our bill-paying money, all of our money. We're going to put it all together, not have our own bank accounts, not have our own money. And at first I was like, what the what? No way. That's crazy. I need to hold on. I have expectations. I have needs. I have wants of what I'm going to do with this money. So we did it. We, we pooled all our money. And I'm not saying it was easy. In fact, it was probably the, one of the hardest experiences of my life. I can't tell you how many conflicts we had, how many times we argued about what kind of cheese we should buy. People are really invested in what kind of cheese we should spend our money on. And I'm not saying that's how everyone should live. This isn't my economic political statement. Let's all pool our money and be socialists. It's not my agenda. But I want you to know that that was an experience that taught me so much about trust. Because I had these needs, these wants, these expectations. And halfway through the year, I forgot them all. My needs and wants and expectations actually changed. And I was satisfied. In Israel's case and in our case, a lack of trust comes from making our expectations about us. I'll sit down at the banqueting table, but i got to determine the menu. Trusting God means that our lives are no longer about us. They become about God. And just like for Israel, God becomes the center. Part of trusting God is admitting our ways, our thoughts, our intentions, our expectations. They're actually inadequate. I kind of suck sometimes. What begins to happen when we start to give up control, when we get up from the kids' table, we take a step of faith towards that banqueting table God has for us, our expectations actually change. Our life, our desires, they reflect God's work in this world. It means freedom from ourselves. This is going to sound weird, but it's freedom from the self-life, self-abuse, self-deception, self-exaltation, self-indulgence, self-hatred, self-sufficiency, self-absorption, self-obsession. It means that Trusting God's thoughts, God's ways, God's work 
in this world so that we can be selfless. It means having the freedom to sit down at this amazing banquet that God wants to put before you and being totally satisfied and not having a single self-conscious thought. Because our work becomes God's work. God's will becomes our will. You guys, this is the difference between being a Christian and being a follower of Christ. When our will becomes God's will, we are a follower of Christ. Israel had to admit they had, they had God who was at work for them. We might not see what God is doing, exactly how God is working. We trust that God is doing his thing, even in our life. Richard Foster is one of my favorite authors. And I have a quote of his on a post-it note on my computer. And here's what it says. Frequently, we hold so tightly to the good that we do know, we cannot receive the greater good that we do not know. We hold so tightly to the good that we know, the expectations we have, that we can't see the greater good that God might have for us. God has to help us let go of our tiny vision in order to release the greater good he has in store for us. Is God putting a vision in front of you that you are holding so tightly onto your vision that you can't see it? We're looking at Isaiah right now because it anticipates the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. Isaiah is letting Israel know God's purpose is at work in the world, in our everyday life, in history, and God's purpose is embodied in the person of Jesus, who was not the vision anyone had for what the Messiah was going to look like. He was not what anyone expected. But Jesus is God's work in this world, on our behalf and with us. I love how Isaiah ends chapter 55. Because it's all about celebrating the fact that the Israelites are leaving captivity and going home. As you hear these words, I want you to think about the fact that you get to celebrate. God is at work in your life. God has an abundant meal, an abundant life that he wants to put before you. So that you can not only survive, but you can, you can thrive. You can live an abundant life. You just have to step up and receive what God has for you. Hear these words starting in verse 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Gracious God, we thank you that you want us to know an abundant life. You want us to be filled, to be filled and to be satisfied and to know that it is your work in this world. It is your work in our lives that allows us to become who you created us to be, allows us to know your abundance, your goodness your freedom in this world. Help us receive what you have for us. In your holy name, amen.